Welcome to episode number eight of Strengthening the Brethren podcast. I'm your host, Michael Larson. Today, I'm sharing a sermon by Pastor James Crumpton Sr. entitled, Going to Hell, Who Cares? This is quite a convicting sermon, and it reminds us that we need to get busy about the work of the Lord and give the gospel everywhere we go. To hear the biography about Pastor Crumpton, you can go back to the episode entitled, Jesus. I pray that this sermon will stir your heart. Turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, there I wish to read verses 10 through 15 and the 8th verse of chapter 21. Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15, and Revelation 21, verse 8. The word reads, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second day. God will add his blessings to this, the reading of his precious word. You may have your seats. I want to speak to you for a little while on the subject, going to hell, who cares? Going to hell, who cares? To know the New Testament knows is to know that the Bible emphatically teaches that everyone who dies without getting his or her sins forgiven are going to hell. The Bible teaches that there's a literal burning hell of fire and brimstone, place of eternal torment. The Bible makes that emphatically clear. There's no question about it. Now, I'm not here to preach a sermon on hell. The Lord willing, I may do that later in this conference, but I'm here this morning to preach on the theme, folk are going to hell, and who cares? Who cares that people are going to hell? In the very first place, I'd like to look at those for a few moments who do not care that the unsaved are going to hell. It's bad enough to be going to hell, but it's worse to be going to hell and to know that there are those who do not care. Well, if I were addressing an unsaved man, and maybe I am this morning, I would say that you're going to hell and your unsaved friends do not care that you're going to hell. Sometimes I've made that kind of statement, and somebody would say, well, Brother James, I object. I think it's unfair for you to say that I do not care that I and my unsaved friends are going to hell. If you really cared, you'd do something about it. So that's proof that you do not care. No, my unsaved friend, your unsaved friends do not care that you're going to hell. They may work on the job with you. They may be concerned about the wages. They may be concerned about how you're treated by the management, but they do not care that you and that they are going to hell. 
You may be in business with an unsaved man, and he's much concerned that you treat, treat each other fairly in the business. He may, may be much concerned about the way you work with the employees that are working for you and him, but he does not care that you and that he is going to hell. All your unsaved friends in the social world do not care that you're going to hell. They may be concerned about the parties that you have. They may be concerned that you're always in attendance and that you enjoy the social affairs that they enjoy, but they do not care that you and that they are going to hell. Probably somebody sitting here this morning, if you died right now, you'd go to hell, and your unsaved friends do not care. They have no concern that you're going to hell. But you know, really, after all, that isn't too hard to understand, is it? A man's lost without God and on the road to hell, and uh, what concern does he have for friends of his who are lost and unconcerned and on the road to hell? But you know, there's a second group that I have to mention here this morning that I'm sorry that we have to say that these folk do not care that sinners are going to hell. Somehow we can understand how the unsaved do not care that other unsaved folk are going to hell. But did you know there are some Christians who do not care that sinners are going to hell? Oh, what a shame. How hard to believe that there are born-again, blood-washed believers who do not care that sinners are going to hell. But they are. There are. We, we have to admit that backslidden Christians do not care that sinners are going to hell. I'd like to emphasize it this morning as we think about it for a few moments uh, by pointing out how that uh, those who really walk with God care that sinners are going to hell and somehow through the contrast to see how that backsliders do not care that the unsaved are going to hell. Turn with me, if you will, for a few moments through the pages of God's Word and let's look at some of those who walk with God and how concerned they were that sinners are going to hell. Take the man Moses in the Old Testament, for example. The scriptures say that he's one of the meekest men who ever lived on the face of the earth. He was, a, he was a mighty man. He was the lawgiver. But all the burden that he had that the lost were going to hell. As I notice in the scriptures what he said that as uh, the children of Israel backslid, do you recall how that he was up in the mountains receiving the law from God? And while he was there, the children of Israel said, we don't know what's happened to this man, Moses. And so they brought together Moses, I mean Aaron, and said, uh, make us a God that we may worship here in the wilderness. And he asked for their gold, for their bracelets, and for their rings, and he and he molded a golden calf. You know, back in Egypt, they had seen the people of Egypt in their pagan idolatry uh, worship the golden god called Apis. They'd seen that, and <coughs> so here, Aaron let the people of God uh, uh, turn to a pagan practice. They molded a golden calf. They pulled off their clothes and in a naked, adulterous dance begin to worship a golden calf. And Moses came down from the mount and he saw the people, he heard the, the voice, and it wasn't the voice of those that were defeated, it wasn't the voice of those that won a victory in battle, 
It was the voice of those beloved who were in their sin and revelry. And Moses found them worshiping the golden calf. He found them in their adulterous mess there. And Moses was so angry with the people's sin that he took the golden calf and bound it down, ground it into powder and threw it in the water and dipped it up and said, drink it. He was really angry with their sins. But he was not angry with the people. You know, beloved, you have to be very careful when we preach against sin that we don't preach against sinners. The Lord Jesus was a friend of sinners. He had a reputation of being a friend of sinners. He cared for sinners. And Moses cared. Oh, he hated the sin with a purple passion. But, beloved, he cared for the folk. After he had uh, ground up the calf into a powder and thrown it in the water and told them to drink it, he went up in the mountain and he fell down on his face and began to pray. And he said, Lord, this people have sinned a great sin. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin. If you look closely in that 32nd chapter of the, the 32nd verse there in the book of Numbers, what will you find? There's a dash. It simply means that Moses broke down and began to cry. He said, Lord, this people have sinned a great sin. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin. And then there's a pause as he weeps. And then he added, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Your language in mind, Moses was saying, Dear God, these people have committed a terrible sin, and I pray that you'll forgive their sin. If you have to send Moses to hell, that'll be all right. Drop me out of the book and send me to hell, if that's what it takes to save the people of Israel. Moses cared. Do we care? Is there anybody here that would dare say that he or she were willing for God to blot them out of the Lamb's book of life? for the unsaved, that they might be brought to Christ. That's what Moses prayed. He surely does make us look like a bunch of backsliders, doesn't he? Going to hell, who cares? Moses cared. You know, sometimes people get very disturbed when some of us preachers shed a few tears. In fact, one man said to me one day, I don't see what you cry so much about. You know, beloved, we're in good company and with Bible preachers if we weep over the lost. Jeremiah said that all oh, that my eyes were found of tears, that I might weep for the slain of the daughter of Israel. The Lord Jesus on the Mount of Olives outside the city of Jerusalem, not too long before the crucifixion, beloved, cried, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens, and you would not. I don't think there's any question but that the Lord Jesus wept as he uttered those words, looking out on the city and seeing these dear people for whom he'd come, and yet they'd turned their back on him and were saying, No, Jesus cared that people were going to hell. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote the letter to the church at Rome, said that I could wish myself accursed from Christ for my brethren according to the flesh, that they might be saved. Paul was saying the same thing that Moses had said there in the Old Testament. as He prayed in the mountain, Lord, send me to hell, if that's what it takes to bring the other Jews to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul cared. 
the Lord Jesus cared. Moses cared. Do you care? Do I care? Are we to be classed with the backslidden who do not care that people are on the road to hell, lost and doomed and damned, without God and without hope in the world? Do we care? David Brainerd, the missionary to the North American Indians, uh, had such a fervency of soul for people that they might come to Christ. They tell us that he'd lie down in snow and pray with such fervency that perspiration would flow off his body as he begged God to bring the North American Indians to the Lord Jesus Christ. One day David Brainerd stood to preach, and he only had a half-drunken Indian as an interpreter, mind you me, and he preached a sermon, and 30, 30 Indians came to Jesus Christ, was born again, washed in the precious blood of the Son of God. David Brainerd cared. Jesus cared. Jeremiah cared. Moses cared. The Apostle Paul cared. Do you care? Do I care that souls are going to hell? Oh, beloved, we read the story of John and Mary Welch, that dear preacher and his precious wife yonder in England. They're preaching the gospel, and of course they're outside the established church, and they were arrested by uh, King Charles II, and, and uh, John was thrown into prison. John was a tubercular patient, and there he was in an unsanitary jail, and little Mary was walking around the streets in London, so concerned for her preacher husband that that he might get out of jail and that they might go on telling folk about the Lord Jesus and his power to save. And as she walked through the park, to her surprise, King Charles was riding his beautiful white horse with all of his guards with him, and she thought, I'll just dare to ask for an audience with the king. She went up to one of the guards and she said, I'm Mary Welch and I'd like to speak to King Charles. Of course, it's a very unusual thing, and the guard said, I'm not sure that you can, but I'll find out. And he went to the to the bodyguard, and he said, there's a woman here by the name of Mary Welch, and she said the king would know her. She wants to talk to the king. Of course, when uh, the bodyguard said to King Charles, Mary Welch is here in the park, and she'd like to talk to you, King Charles said, I'll grant her an audience. Tell her to come. She came and stood and looked up at King Charles II sitting on that white horse. And she said, King, you know, you put John in jail. And king, my husband has tuberculosis. She said, he'll die in that unsanitary jail. She said, would you, would you please let him out and I'll take him home and try to nurse him back to hell? No, King Charles, with a twinkle in his eye and a smirk on his lips. He thought he'd have a little fun of the preacher's wife. And he said, I'll tell you, Mary, if you'll promise me you'll never let John Welch preach the gospel again, I'll let him out of jail. You take him home and nurse him back to hell. And that little woman stood there. Oh, bless her heart. She reached down and pulled up the little apron that was on her skirt and held it out like this. And she said, King Charles, I'd rather you cut off John's head and throw it in my apron than it ever be said that his wife hindered him preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because John and Mary Welch cared. It was because Paul cared. It was because Jeremiah cared. It was because Moses cared. It was because the Lord Jesus cared. Why, beloved, they tell us that George Whitfield used to stand on the street corner, and as he watched people walk by, tears would stream down his cheeks, and he'd say, I wonder if they've ever been born again.
I wonder if they've ever been born again. It was said that he preached 600 times on ye must be born again. And somebody said, Brother George, why do you preach so much on ye must be born again? He said, because if you ever go to heaven, ye must be born again. These folk care. These folk care. You know, beloved, uh, we, we sometimes uh, show more interest and care for the physical needs of people than we do for the fact that they're lost and on the road to hell. Have you ever noticed in our prayer meetings, as a general rule, beloved, in our local churches out, that when we ask for prayer requests, there's a request for Mrs. So-and-so who's undergoing surgery tomorrow. There's a request for Mrs. So-and-so whose husband's just passed away and she's bereaved. And there's a request for a precious little girl that's going to have to undergo surgery while we just, in our prayer meeting the other night, somebody came and said, a 16-year-old girl, she's losing her eyesight. And the doctor says in less than a month she'll be blind for the rest of her life. And we prayed. And I'm not criticizing that. I'm not criticizing that we pray for folk that are undergoing surgery. I'm not criticizing that we pray for folk that are about to lose their eyesight. I'm not criticizing that we pray for folk uh, who've just lost a loved one and is going to the cemetery to place the body beneath the flowers in the city of the dead. No. I think we ought to pray. But beloved, did it ever occur to you that sometimes we pray for more for folk in their physical needs than we do for folk who are lost and going to hell. For folk who are without the Lord Jesus and need to be saved. I really believe, and I do not know all of you folk personally, but I really believe that there's nobody in this place this morning who's so hard-hearted that if he left here and started out across the countryside and came to a river down here somewhere and found that the bridge had been washed out and that the authorities had not been notified, I'm, I'm of the opinion that anybody here would stop and say, now wait a minute, i got to be sure nobody drives off this open bridge into the river and drowned. I believe that. Do you agree with me? How many of you agree with me that you believe that that's the kind of folk we're with here this morning? But, beloved, how many folk will go into hell before you and I go to bed tonight? And how many of us will come in contact with some of those that may be in hell before we go to bed tonight? And yet we'll put our heads on a pillow and we'll sleep like babies. Do we really care that folk are going to hell? They would really care down between Jackson and Vicksburg, Mississippi, a few years ago. We had a terrible flash flood one afternoon, kind of late in the afternoon, and one of those rivers rose so rapidly that it washed away a large bridge. And there's a Negro man came along, and as he approached that open bridge, of course, he didn't know the bridge had washed away, so he just drove right into the river, car and all. But you know, somehow, by the goodness of God, he was able to get out of the car and get back up on the road. The authorities didn't know anything about it. That big old Negro man said to himself, you know, no tell how many folk are going to drive in that river. And God is good enough to let me get out. He said, I'll just stand here and try to flag everybody down until somehow somebody gets stopped and I can get them to go and help us get a barricade to erect here. And so he began to wave. He began to wave. Would you believe me? Five cars drove right by that Negro man into that river. Though he's wet. After a while, beloved, it began to get dusky dark. He pulled off his white shirt and began to wave it. He hollered, stop! Stop! The bridge is out! Stop! One man drove by and rolled down his glass and hollered, go to hell! And the poor man waving a white shirt hollering, stop! The bridge is out. And the Negro man said, when he said, go to hell, I said, sir, you'll be there before I can get there. 
and he drove into the bridge, open river, and he was drowned. I told that story in Jackson, Mississippi, one night in a revival meeting. At the close of a service, a big old man weighing 275 pounds came walking up on the platform beside me. And he said, Brother James, you know that story you told tonight about that open river bridge? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you know me? I said, no, sir. He said, well, that's a true story you told. He said, that fellow who rolled down the window and yelled to that Negro man, go to hell, was my son. Said, Brother James, he's been a drunkard all of his life. Terribly a profane man. He said, I'd pled with him, I'd wept over him, I'd begged him to come to Jesus. But he is always arrogant, always arrogant with me. And he said, that's a true story. That Negro man tried to wave down my son. My son told him to go to hell. And he said, he drove into the river and went to hell himself. And then that dad said this to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Brother James, when I found out about that Negro man, I went over to his house. And I walked up to him and put my arms around him and gave him a big bear hug. And he said, I said, sir, thank you for making that last effort to stop my old boy. He said, I tried so many times to lead him to the Lord Jesus. He wouldn't come. But I'm glad, even though he didn't listen to you, I'm glad that you tried. I'm glad that you tried to wave him down. Oh, beloved, I want to say to you, I may never come to a road where the bridge is washed out. You may never go down a highway where the bridge is washed out. We may never have the privilege of getting on the highway and trying to flag folk down and say there's an open bridge here. Stop! But I want to tell you, beloved, we're standing on a highway of life. And at the end of this life, there's a hell of fire and brimstone and every man, woman, boy, and girl who doesn't get his sins forgiven in this life will go to hell. There's no question about it. The unfaithful do not care. They're going on about their business. They're concerned about making a living. They're concerned to try, about trying to be happy. But they have no concern that the unsaved are lost. But that's not half as indicting as the fact is that there are many of us Christians who have so very little, so very little concern. I went one afternoon to, to visit a man. His, his, his backyard was the backyard yard of a Baptist church. Did you believe that? I talked to him for a while. He's 42 years of age. And I... I called him by his first name. It happened to be Walter. And I said, Walter, have you ever been born again? He said, no, sir, I haven't. And he said, in fact, I don't even know what being born again means. Would you tell me? And I told him. And when I finished, Brother Jack, you know what he said to me? How come I'm 42 years old? And nobody ever told me this before. And I happen to know from personal knowledge that that man was in walking distance of five Baptist churches. Five Baptist churches that claim to believe what you and I believe. That the Bible is the word of God. That the Lord Jesus is the Son of God. That there's a little hell out yonder to where men are going. That they don't come to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Oh, I had a lawyer to come to my office. We talked for some three hours. Fifty-year-old lawyer. And I said to him, uh, Judge, have you ever really been saved? He said, saved? What do you mean? I said, I mean, have you ever been born again? Well, he said, Brother James, that's what he called me. I don't know. Tell me what born again is. And I took my Bible like I was talking to a 12-year-old boy. Here's a judge. A judge, beloved. And uh, I explained it to him. And he said, uh, Brother James, I'm 50 years old. He said, I've attended Methodist churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches. He said, I served for 20 years in the armed services as a lawyer. And he said, Brother James, you're the first man that ever told me 
that you have to be born again in order to go to heaven. But thank God he's a saved judge this morning. He's on the way to glory. But do we care, beloved? Do we really care? All unfaithful folk don't care. Backslidden Christians don't care that people are on the road to hell without God and without hope in the world. And certainly in the third place, the devil doesn't care. Truth of the matter is, he's glad of it. You know, the devil's the arch enemy of the Lord Jesus. And the best way he can get back at the Lord Jesus is to keep the lost lost and to keep children of God from really counting for the Lord Jesus. Some of our precious friends haven't learned that when you get saved, you're saved forever. But you know, the devil knows that. The devil knows when he loses one of his children and they get born again, they are forever the children of God. The devil knows that. But the devil also knows if he can damn and blight the testimony of a child of God and keep him from winning the unsaved to Christ, that's second best to have him getting lost in the first place. The devil knows that. He's so busy. Oh, he doesn't say to the unsaved. You know, a lot of folks say, well, the devil just doesn't believe the Bible. He doesn't believe there's a heaven or hell. He knows better than that. The devil believes a lot of things that liberal preachers don't believe. Yes, sir, it's amazing. It's amazing. The devil believes and knows that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And some preachers don't even know that. That's right. He said so. He said so. He acknowledged Jesus is the Son of God. The devil believes there's a little hell, fire and brimstone. He said so. He asked Jesus not to hurry him off to the place. That's right. Read the Gospels if you don't believe me. When those demons spoke in the dear man of Gadara, who was possessed with the devil. Yes. The devil doesn't care. He's glad of it. He's not going around saying there's no heaven, there's no hell. He's saying sinners, there's heaven, there's a hell, but you've got plenty of time. You just wait. You just wait. He'll have you wait until you're damned forever in the charred walls. Oh, there are sinners who could truly say with the hymn writer, I drifted away from the love of God. Sin and doubt of my life had control. My sad heart was alone with its grief and its woe. No one seemed to care for my soul. Those I met day by day came to tell me of Christ, who is mighty to save and make whole. But they left me to drift and to die in my sins. No one seemed to care for my soul. No one seemed to care. No one seemed to care. Christians met me day by day to their shame, I'm sad to say. No one seemed to care for my soul. You say, Brother James, do you really believe that there are a lot of unsafe folk that never get witnessed to? That's right. Nobody ever witnessed me. I'd have been saved at least seven years before I was if somebody told me how to be saved. I grew up in the church and there was a liberal preacher. Oh, you folk who grew up in the church, beloved, where they preach the gospel, you ought to thank God. You ought to thank God that they tell you how to be saved. Well, I grew up in the church and they never talked about being saved. They never talked about the blood of Christ. They never talked about hell. They never talked about being born again. The first time I found the third chapter of the Gospel of John in the Bible, it almost scared me to death. And for weeks I didn't sleep well at all. Till I really got born again. Oh, I even had a damn mom who were Christians, but beloved, they didn't take time to sit down and talk to me about how to be saved. I used to even order gospel tracts. Order them. I wanted to be a Christian. I don't know how you became one, but I got the wrong kind, Brother Jack. I got those kind that talked about visions and trances. 
And I was honest, I hadn't had any. Drunkards and dope addicts have visions and trances. It's not the way to come to Jesus. Not through a vision or trance. It's just to come as a lost, no good, hell deserving sinner and believe the good news. But I didn't know the good news. I hadn't heard the gospel. I used to get on the bed in my mother's home for hours and read those gospel tracts as a boy. But I hadn't had those visions. I hadn't had those trances. So I went on lost. Lost. Without God and without hope in the world. Do you care? Do I care? How much do you care that people are on the road to hell? There's some who don't. But I'm glad on the other side there's somebody who does care. Aren't you? I'm glad there's somebody who does care. Maybe you're here this morning and you're unsaved. I want to say to you, there's some folk who care. I've gotten to you yet, but there's some of them who care. Some of them who are concerned that you're going to hell. All preachers aren't just professional fellows. Oh, no. Some of them have a heart and they yearn for you to come to Christ. All the deacons aren't indifferent. Praise God, there's some of them who care. All the good godly men and ladies in our churches aren't without care. There are some who care that sinners are on the road to hell. I just put it this way. Consecrated Christians care that sinners are going to hell. That's the reason they talk to you. You know, sometimes I've had unsaved people say to me, Brother James, I wish you'd just tell the church folk over that west side to leave me alone. But you know, I never do tell our folk that. Oh no, I never do. I just say to the unsaved friend, best friend you'll ever have is one who won't leave you alone when you're lost. He'll just keep on going, keep on going. You know, my son... My son was saved when he's four years of age. Four years of age. And all before he's six, he's just witnessing up storm. And I remember Dr. W. W. Hamilton, my seminary president. He's with the Lord now. Oh, bless his memory. Such a consecrated soul winner. And he came to our church. And he's one of these old-fashioned evangelists who stands and preaches with such compassion and tenderness for sinners to come to Christ. And... Um, He'd do that, you know. My, my boy, he'd just get up and go on his sister, Eulalia, and he'd begin to witness to her. Oh, he'd just preach up a storm to her right there in the invitation, you know. He'd make my little daughter so mad, she'd just ready to fight. And, uh, and uh, she'd go home and tell mom, make James leave me alone. He's trying to get me to get saved. And, uh, I remember my wife one night said to Dr. Hamilton, she said, Dr. Hamilton, what would you do? She said, our son's been saved and our little daughter hadn't been saved yet. And said, every time you give an invitation, he just goes over there and begs her to come to Jesus and said, it makes, it makes her mad and said, what should I do? And Dr. Hamilton said, just leave him alone. Just leave him alone. He said, don't ever try to stop anybody from trying to get somebody to come to Jesus. Don't ever do that. And he said, the fact she gets mad may be the fact that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring her to Jesus. Yeah. I remember that same preacher. He said, I went to an evangelistic meeting and he said, there's a dear mama there. She was a widow and she had an 18-year-old son and he's lost. And uh, she wanted him saved so bad. And she came and she said, Dr. Hamlin, I want you to witness to my son. She said, he's, he's without the Lord and I want you to witness to him. And uh, she said, you, you, uh, you, you, you talk to my son and see what you think about it. And Dr. Hamilton said, I managed to get the witness to her son one day. And he said, that night she came to me and she said, Dr. Hamilton, did you get to talk to my son? He said, yes. 
I have a great burden for him. She said, what do you think I could do? He said, when I give the invitation tonight, I want you to go back and lay a hand on his shoulder and say, son, I want you to come to Jesus. I want you to come to Jesus. She said, oh, Dr. Hamlin, I'm so timid. He said, well, you, you asked me what you thought I thought you ought to do. And he said, that's it. And Dr. Hamilton said, you know, I got up to preach that night. And he said, the son came in. And would you believe it? He had his girlfriend with him. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I looked down, that mama had just looked over her shoulder and saw her son back there with his girlfriend, and that makes it far more embarrassing, you know. Try to go to your son, tell him you ought to come to Jesus when he's just come to church with his girlfriend. And he said, you know, that little lady didn't hear a thing I preached that night. He said, she didn't. He said, I watched her. He said, she's just in agony. She's just in agony. I told her, and he said, I told her exactly what I believe the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell her, that you ought to just go say a word to him when I gave the invitation. And he said, would you believe it? When I gave the invitation, he said, I saw that determined look in her eyes. <laughs> she kind of looked my way, and she did her shoulders like that. He said, she turned on her heel, and she just walked back there where he was. And she said she got to him, and there he was, his girlfriend standing up beside him. She just laid her hand on his shoulder, and she didn't say a word. She just started crying. She bowed over and touched his shoulder with her head for a moment, and, and then he said, in what she thought was defeat, she just turned around and came back down the aisle. And, he said, you know, she came down the aisle, she's looking straight at me, and he said, I could just see in her eyes. She's saying, see that, Dr. Hamlin? It didn't do no good. It didn't do no good. But he said, she didn't know he was a follower. <laughs> and he came right on, took Dr. Hamilton by the hand, and said, preacher, I want to get saved. I want to know the Lord Jesus as my own personal Savior. Consecrated Christians care. Now, beloved, you and I need to stay very sensitive, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We can let folks slide right through our hands and go to hell. We can do it. Oh, it's so easy to do it, you know. Not too long ago, beloved, I went to a meeting. I went to a meeting, and the pastor invited me in his home for supper, and we had a good time fellowship together, and he introduced me to his, to his family. And you know, beloved, to my surprise, just before I left, I found his 19-year-old son was still without Christ. Oh, God. I said, what if I'd gone and not done something about trying to get this boy to the Lord Jesus? We can't afford to take anybody for granted. Nobody. Well, I was seated at a banquet one night, beloved, with a bunch of preachers and deacons and church leaders at a certain church, First Baptist Church in one of our uh, cities, beloved, and pastor invited us to this banquet, and I was sitting there, and there's a, there's a preacher's wife seated beside me. Now, let me say this, beloved. I don't think you know how to go around and, and act uh, ugly in witnessing. I know Jack Wood is a pastor of a church, and... I know the wonderful testimony that Jack Wood has that Jesus is his Savior. But suppose I just knew that Jack Wood was a, was a pastor of a church and I didn't know whether anything about his testimony for the Lord. I think it'd be, un, I think it'd be, I think it'd be unethical. I think it'd be wrong. He'd go and say, Jack, are you Christian? Are you following me? I really do. Well, you say, Brother James, uh, you mean you wouldn't be concerned? Oh no, I'd be very concerned. But I'd go up and say, Jack, how long have you been saved? Tell me about when Jesus came to your heart. Do you see the difference? If you do, say amen. amen. There's a real difference there. There's real difference. I know a fellow, he'll, he'll get his car and he's got a loudspeaker on top. He'll go in front of every pastor's house in the community and say, Hey, preacher so-and-so, are you Christian? I think that's wrong. If that man's not a Christian, he's not likely to win him like that. But oh, if he said to that preacher, how long have you been saved? Tell me about when the Lord Jesus came to your heart. No, nobody saved getting man that. And nobody who's unsaved having a right to, would they? 
Because I'd taken it for granted he'd say, don't you see? So I turned to this preacher's wife and I said, tell me how long you've been saved. And she said, what do you mean by being saved? <laughs> and I told her. And she said, oh, sir, I've never been saved. I've never been saved. Let's don't take folk for granted. Oh, let us be sweet and kind and compassionate and tender. But let's don't take folk for granted. I led the pastor to Christ one night in a meeting where I was, pastor of the church. He stood there, great big old hulk of a man, weighing uh, 235 pounds, six foot and four inches tall. And, and he said to me, Brother James, if what you preach is the gospel, I'd go to hell if I died. I said, what do you mean? Oh, he said, I grew up thinking if you joined the church and got baptized and tried to live a good life, you'd go to heaven. He said, that's what I did. And he said, I, I got in the ministry because he said, uh, the, uh, one man came on professional day in high school and said, if you love people, uh, you ought to be a, a minister. And he said, I always thought I loved people. So he said, I became a minister. And he said, I've been pastoring for five years. Five years. But he said, Brother James, I've preached a many of a sermon, if you could call it a sermon. He said, I preached a many a sermon. They told me some of those things at seminary, and I preached a many a sermon. And I gave an invitation, and I stood there and prayed under my breath, Lord, don't you let anybody come, because I don't know what to tell them if they, want to, if they, if they, if they should come. And I led that preacher to Jesus just like I would a 12-year-old boy, told him how he's a sinner and lost and no good and going to hell. How Jesus loved him and died for him and was buried and rose again. He had trusted him. He stood outside my car door and bowed his head. He said, Lord, I'm just a sinner, Brother James has told me about. And I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I want to be born again. He moved away from Mississippi to Illinois. Two summers ago, a couple in my church was in Illinois on a vacation. And they met that preacher. They, uh, they met him, met him in, in the town, and uh, he said, where are you folk from? You're here on vacation. They said, yes, we're from Natchez, Mississippi. He said, do you know Brother James Crumpton? <laughs> and they said, sure, we know Brother Crumpton. He's our pastor. Oh, he said, God, use that man to do the most wonderful thing for me that ever happened in my life. And my, my dear man and his wife said, Brother James, what would you do? Oh, I said, led him to Jesus, that's all. <laughs> Just led him to Jesus one day while he was a pastor of the church. Consecrated Christians care. They really do, and they'll go after you. In the middle of the night, early in the morning, I know a dear pastor down south of Louisiana. There are a lot of loggers in his community. And did you know those loggers go to work about 4.30 in the morning? And as my dad used to say, they work from can to cane. From can to cane. And some of them work seven days a week. And that pastor said, you know, I can't let all these men go to hell. And when in the world am I going to see them? So here's what he decided to do. He got up every morning at 4 o'clock. And he'd go one morning and knock on two doors. Logger opened the door and he said, sir, I know it's a bad time to knock on your door. I know you've got to go to work in a few minutes. But he said, I'm past the church over here. And he said, I know you work so much I can hardly ever find you. But I just want you to know us praying that you might come to know Jesus as your Savior. I could lead you a gospel track. He said, I'd get in two or three every morning from 4 to 4.30. He said, I kept going the rounds. And he said, Brother James, at the end of the year, I'd baptized 30 of those loggers who had taken off on Sunday night and had come. He cared. Consecrated Christians care that sinners are going to hell. You may have heard of John Harper, the famous evangelist. He's on the Titanic, by the way. And he went down. He went down on the Titanic. He was on his way to a meeting to preach. And you know, one of those that was rescued, there weren't many, some 1,513 died on the Titanic. 
But one of those young fellows that was rescued said, that fellow Harper, that preacher Harper, said to me, how is it with your soul, young man? He said, he said that to me not long before the boat was completely gone. We were standing on the deck. And he said, you know, I, I said, well, I'm not saved. And, and he said, the folk were milling around us so much. And he said, as I, as I crawled over the side to try to get in one of, uh, one of the little boats that was there, he said, uh, that preacher looked down at me and he said, have you done anything about it yet, my boy? Have you done anything about accepting Jesus as your Savior? And that young fellow came to the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. He said, I was John Harper's last convert, because if he went down to the watery grave, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior because of those two things that he said to me in those last moments. John Harper cared. He cared. And oh, isn't it good that God cares? Consecrated Christians care and God cares. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That same God said in Jeremiah 31, 3, I've loved you with an everlasting love. God so loved. Oh, sinner friend, God loves you. God cares that you're going to hell. The precious Holy Spirit cares. He cares. He's so tender. He's so compassionate. I can stand here and talk to you and tell you how much I care and the folks sitting beside you and tell you how much they care, but... We can't go home with you and eat with you and sleep with you and live with you for the next few days, but he can. He can get right in bed with you tonight and remind you that he cares, that you're going to hell. Sure can. Sure can. Oh, you know, I was down in South Louisiana some years ago preaching. My wife and I met a young high school girl, beautiful Spanish girl. She was unsaved. She'd come to our home many times and sit and hear me comforting me as we told her how to get saved. And one night in a little church there in South Louisiana I preached a message in a revival service. I preached a simple message on you must be born again. And that girl came and stood out in front of the platform and she said, Brother James, if you must be born again, how is it we French Catholics never have heard about that? Why is it down here in in this land, they never have told us about it. She said, my mama's in hell tonight if you have to be born again to go to heaven. She said, she never heard about being born again. And she said, everybody in my family would go to hell tonight if they die. We never have heard about being born again. What would you tell a girl like that? I don't know one answer, beloved. There are not enough folk who care. There are not enough folk who care. I said... But Ruby, I care. The song leader standing there. He said, Ruby, I care. We'll pray tonight. We'll pray that you'll not, you'll not have peace till you get saved. We met her the next day on the street. She had big, big back, back pockets under her eyes. She said, Brother James, could I make a request? I said, sure, what is it? She said, would y'all please stop praying for me? I said, what? Well, she said, I don't know. I guess the Lord must hear your prayer. She said, I can't sleep when you're praying for me. She said, I went home last night after I heard that sermon on the new birth. And she said, I couldn't sleep. And I remembered you and Brother Tom saying, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you to be saved. And she said, you know, I'd lie there and I'd say, Ruby, you must go to sleep and die. You'd just wake up in hell. That's what you'd do. 
And she said, four o'clock came, and I still just saying the same thing. And she said, five o'clock came. And she said, five o'clock, I was asleep. I just fell asleep for a few moments, and I waked up, and it's 5.15. And she said, I said, Ruby, if you'd have died in that 15 minutes, you'd have gone to hell. And she said, I just wish you'd quit praying. She said, I guess it just, just bothers me to know you pray. It wasn't that my praying was bothering her. It was the Holy Spirit showing her that he cared, that he cared. Oh, yes. That was many years ago. Last spring, she came to Natchez, Mississippi. She got a room over at the Holiday Inn, and, and uh, she said to one of the waitresses at the Holiday Inn, Do you know James W. Crowley? <laughs> and the waitress said, Sure, he's my pastor. Do you know him? She said, Yes, he prayed me into the kingdom. <laughs> I know the Lord Jesus because of his prayers. No, it was because the Holy Spirit cared. He cared. Do you care? Do I care? How much do we care? Now, beloved, there's no set pattern. I, I, I like to say all we can about soul winning, but I, I'm afraid of these folk who have a set pattern. And you just got a little shoot to shoot and you get in it and go down it. Holy Spirit's a person and he's real and he's alive and he lives in us and He'll tell us what to say to everybody if we'll just listen. Sometimes I'm surprised at what I say to some folk. But then after, I thank him and say, forgive me for being surprised. Some folks say, well, you ought to ask everybody you meet other Christians. That's good. Some folks say, I don't think you ought to do that. You ought to ask everybody you meet, uh, uh, are you sure where you'd be if you died in the next five minutes? Well, that's all right to ask that. But there's none of them that's the only one way. There are many ways. There are many things. I preached a message one night in a large First Baptist church. They had five big sections in the auditorium. I was standing out like, like in the middle of the sea, if you please. But from the time I started my sermon till I quit, there's a man in that section right back there, last seat. The Lord said, pray for him. And I prayed for him every moment I preached. I preached on the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And when I gave the invitation, folk began to come, and the Lord said, go back and talk to him about Jesus. And I walked back to the man on that back seat, and I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, no. I said, sir, would you like to get saved and go to hell? He said, no. And I said, well, go to hell then. And I turned and came back down the aisle. Brother Jack, I was surprised at myself. I said, James Cookin, what in the world's wrong with you? And I got back to the pulpit and the Holy Spirit reminded me that he'd prompted me to say what I'd said. I hadn't said it anger or censoriously. I'd said it with the same sweet spirit. I'd ask him, would he like to go to heaven? We closed the invitation. The meeting closed and I went home. A year later, I came back to that same church to preach. After the service, a man came forward and took me with a hand. He began to put my hand and said, thank you for making me mad. Thank you, thank you. Praise God you made me mad. Praise God. I said, well, I don't remember making you mad, but if I made you mad and that helped, thank God. He said, you'll remember when I tell you. Remember that guy sitting right back yonder a year ago when you preached on the sufferings of Jesus? And you came and asked him, was he a Christian? He told you no. And he said, I told you. Soundly, didn't I? And you asked me if I wanted to go to heaven, and I said no. And you said, well, go to hell. 
He said, when you turn walk down that back down that aisle, I thought, Lord, I'd like to stick my fingers in his eyes and pull his eyeballs out, throw them on the floor, and stomp them with my feet. He said, I thought, Lord, I'd like to, I'd like to pull his arms off up there at his shoulder blades and throw them out there on the ground. I'd like to pull his legs off up there at his torso and throw them out there on the ground and watch him roll in the dust. He said, Preacher, I was so mad I went home I didn't sleep all night long. He said, I worked at a sawmill and I was a big cusser. He said, I went to the job the next day and hadn't slept all night and I was still mad with you. And he said, everything moved. I just cussed all day long. So I didn't even eat my lunch, my wife fixed. I just cussed. And I'd think about you and think, I just wish I could punch you in the nose. He said, I came home and my wife said something to me about why I'd eat my lunch. He said, I got mad and cussed her out real good, got in the bed, refused to eat any supper. And got there lying from 7 to 8 o'clock that night wishing I'd get a hold of you and just pull you apart. And he said, along about 8 o'clock, something. He said, now I know it wasn't something, it was he, the precious Holy Spirit. He said, but from my viewpoint, that night is something. Said something, said, you fool, what you so mad at the preacher about? Said he preached there on the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, and you never heard how the Savior paid such a price for you before. And he said, he came back there as sweet as he could and asked if he was a Christian. You practically spit in his face and told him no. And he asked if he wanted to go to heaven and you told him no. And he said, that something said, you're mad because he told you to go to hell. And he said, the something said, there's nowhere else to go if you don't want to go to heaven. He said, Brother James, from 8 o'clock that night till midnight, instead of being mad, then I said, and ashamed, and I, I felt so terrible. It's a guilty. And he said to midnight, I couldn't stand it longer. Couldn't stand it longer. So he said, I got to put on my clothes and went over to the preacher's house and said, look, preacher, I got to get saved. Come out here and show me how. Show me how. He said, I got born again. He said, thank you for making me mad. Thank you for making me mad. Six years later, I was preaching about 50 miles away in a revival meeting. A lady came and said, do you remember the fellow in your radio, Louisiana, you told to go to hell and he got saved? You know, that's a terrible thing to have somebody say to you. And I said, yes, sir. She said, he's preaching now. She said, he's got a big tent meeting going over here. She said, I went over there last night and said, oh, you ought to hurt the sermon priest. <laughs> and she said, after the service, I went up and thanked him for the good message. And I told him you was preaching over here and I was coming to hear him tonight. And she said, he said, tell him thank you for telling me to go to hell. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting you go out here and tell somebody to go to hell. It better be the Holy Spirit tells you. Or you may hinder them from going to heaven. But all I'm trying to say, if you and I really care, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, beloved, will give us the words we ought to say. I've run fast. Let me say one other word and I'll close. Lord Jesus cares. He cares. That's the reason he went to the cross. That's the reason he called Sammy Allen to have a camp here. That's the reason he called Jack Wood to preach. That's the reason he called me to preach. Jesus cares. That's the reason he called this fellow over here to direct these boys and girls in the home. He cares. Oh, isn't it precious that Jesus cares? Oh, it's the hymn writer who said, I cried unto God for my sin-burdened heart. There I yielded to his blessed control. Christ, the dear Lamb of God, took me in this fold, for he surely cared for my soul. Yes, my Savior cared. Yes, my Savior cared. Yes, my Savior cared for my soul. I will praise his name for a. He has washed my sins away. Jesus surely cares for my soul. He cares for your soul. Oh, God, help us to care for the lost.
Let every head be bowed and every eye closed. Right quickly. It's all right for me to give a brief invitation, is it, Brother Sammy? Every head bowed and every eye closed. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, nobody looking. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of you can say, Brother James, I know, I know, I know that I know that I know that I am a child of God. I know it. Raise your right hand good and high. Don't even leave a crook at the elbow. Wave your fingers at me. I know, Brother James, I am a born-again child of God. God bless your hands down again. Heads still bowed, eyes still closed. That's almost all of us. Hands still uh, down. That's right. Put them back down. God bless you. I'm so glad. Thank you for waving those fingers. All right. My second question is to those who just lifted their hands, saying they know, they know they're Christians. How many of you say, Brother James, I never have led many folk to Jesus? Some of you might have to say, though I know I'm a Christian, I do not know that I've ever really led anybody to Jesus. I may have, but I don't know it. If it did, it's just because I witnessed to them and they later got saved. I don't know. I don't know personally if anybody came to Christ through me. Or some of you who say, Brother James, I've led some, but it hadn't been very many. And I'm ashamed I haven't done more. Could I see your hands? Don't kid with me now. This is serious, beloved. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands down again. Hands down again. I want to ask still another question. Are there any Christians here? And I'm asking you a very hard question, but everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm not trying to show you off. And I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I'd like you to face up to something if it's true. Is there any Christian here? Say, Brother James, I know. I know I'm saved, but I never have. I've always been fearful of something. I never have really tried to lead somebody to Jesus. And I want you to pray for me. Would you lift your hand? Oh, look at there. Look at there. That's right. Thank you. Look at there. I never have really tried. Oh, Brother Sammy. Never have really tried. Oh. Yeah, I see one hand there. Yes, I know you just got saved. Bless your heart. I hope you lead somebody to Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Hands down again. My last question. I know most of us here are saved because of the raise of hands a moment ago, but my last question is this. Those of you who couldn't lift your hands and say you're saved, and I'm so glad you're honest with me, I wonder, that man, woman, boy, girl, who couldn't really say you're saved a moment ago, you'd say, Brother James, while you pray for these Christians to be soul winners, would you pray for me to be saved? I'll not embarrass you, I promise you. You can trust me. I didn't embarrass these Christians, did I? And I won't embarrass you. I love you. I want to see you come to Christ. I wonder if there's one of those who couldn't lift your hand say you're saved. You'd lift it now. And I'd know the hand saying, pray for me, Brother James, that I'd get saved. Would you do it? Just a moment. Just lift your hand. Put it up and put it right back down. God will see it. And God knows your heart. God bless you. There's a hand. God bless you. There's a second hand. Is there another one? A third hand. God bless you. Is there another one? I'm not saved, preacher. I'd go to hell if I died. Pray for me while you pray for these Christians. Is there another one anywhere? God bless you. They're in the back. I see you. That's four hands already. Christian, would you pray with me? God bless you. Is there another one? Is there another one? I'm not saved. Pray for me, Brother James. Pray for me. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, we're so glad you care. We're so glad you went to the cross and you paid the price that we could be saved. Thank you that you cared for me, Lord. 
And Lord, these Christians who said, I haven't cared enough, oh God, set a fire in their hearts. Stir us, we pray. While the world perishes, we go on our way purposeless, passionless, day after day. Set us a fire, Lord. Stir us, we pray. Oh God, help us to care that souls are dying. Men and women without Christ on the road to hell. And some right here who said, I'm lost. God, help them to get saved right now. Help them to come down this aisle right here this very morning and accept Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Some of these Christians who need to come and confess this sin of letting people go to hell and not doing anything about it, Lord, help them to come and confess it right now. Please, Lord, not for me, not for Sammy Allen, not for these dear preacher brethren, but for Jesus' sake. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you stand right where you are? Everybody, stand right where you are. Remain standing. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Brother Sam is right here at the front. Now, those who lifted your hands and said, Brother James, I'm lost, would you come right now to trust Christ? Brother Samuel, help you here. Uh, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You just touch the neighbor. They'll let you out. Thank you for listening to Strengthening the Brethren podcast. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. If you are listening via Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give a five-star rating and review. Lastly, share with your friends so that they too can be encouraged and think upon the topics that come up on this podcast. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or anything else for me, you can contact me through my website at www.refreshedingodsword.com or you may email me at stbpodcastkjv at gmail.com. Have a blessed day.